Dr. Michael Youssef, with a question to begin this episode of Leading the Way Audio. Why did God even give us the Ten Commandments when He knew that no one, no one, can ever keep all of them all of the time perfectly? (laughs) Why did He give them to us? Good question. (laughs) You see, He gave us the Ten Commandments as a light, a light that shines into a messy room, which is every one of our hearts, to show us how dirty the room is. That's what the Ten Commandments, that light that's shining into our lives and says, we're sinners, we're sinners. There's only one person who can sweep the room clean, (laughs) and his name is Jesus. Old Testament law, it can be really confusing. But the law clearly reveals our need for the gospel and for God's grace. This is Leading the Way with pastor and international Bible teacher, Dr. Michael Youssef. Today, a message he's called, The Truth is the Truth is the Truth. A reminder of freedom available through Jesus, offered to all, but through an incredible price. Here now is Dr. Michael Youssef, passionately proclaiming uncompromising truth, on Leading the Way. Western civilization was built on biblical morality and biblical foundation. Western civilization as a whole was founded on moral absolutes. Western civilization was established on God as the author of the moral law. Western civilization has developed as the nectar of God's moral standards. Western civilization was weaved by the thread of God's moral law. And therefore, whenever the foundation begins to crumble, society will crumble. When the thread is pulled out of the tapestry, the fabric will fray. When the essence is driven away, we will end up with a flimsy, poor imitation of the real thing. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. What is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying that He is the author of the law, that He is the authenticator of the law. And therefore, he did not come to abrogate the law. In fact, he is saying that unless our righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, we have no chance of making it to heaven. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who coexisted together before ever, ever, ever there was an ever, is one God. One God, not two, three, one. And so, in Exodus 20, When God spoke to Moses and gave him the Ten Commandments, when it says, God spoke these words and said, the triune God is the one who authored the law. Jesus, therefore, is the author of the commandments. You see, some of you have asked, why did God even give us the Ten Commandments when He knew that no one, no one can ever keep all of them all of the time perfectly. (laughs) Why did He give them to us? Good question. (laughs) You see, He gave us the Ten Commandments as a light, a light that shines into a messy room, which is every one of our hearts, to show us how dirty the room is. That's what the Ten Commandments, that light that's shining into our lives (laughs) 
and says, we're sinners. We're sinners. There's only one person who can sweep the room clean, (laughs) and his name is Jesus. And when God became incarnate, therefore, he kept all of the commandments all of the time perfectly without even breaking one even for an inner second. And that is why he is the only one. Not only he could keep the commandments, and therefore he was the only one who could be acceptable to God the Father because he's perfect. And when Jesus said, I came not to abolish them, but to fulfill them, he was saying that they are important, and they are important for a reason. You see, during Jesus' earthly life, the Jews always referred loosely to the law in four different ways. Sometimes referred to the law, they referred to the Ten Commandments. Other times, uh, they referred to the first five books of the Bible. Other times, when they said the law and the prophets, they're referring to all of the Old Testament. Then the other time, this is the fourth one, it's important. When they refer to the law, they are referring uh, to the interpretation of the rabbis of the Old Testaments, that their body of interpretation that is embodied in a book called the Mishnah. And they took those words of these rabbis through the years of burdening people with all sorts of stuff and made them equal and authoritative to the Word of God. And every time you see Jesus debating with the Pharisees and condemning the Pharisees and calling them hypocrites and calling them sons of the devil and he calling them white sepulcher, every time you see that, it is because he was telling them, you are elevating the Mishnah, you are elevating the interpretation of the rabbis to the level of the Scripture. You have misunderstood what my original intention was. And he began to show them what the Bible really means. You see, it's throughout the Scripture. Let me give you just one example. Take the commandment of keeping the Sabbath holy. God's original intent, he knows our nature, he created us, he knows by nature we're going to be working and work and work and work and work, and you know, on the internet, and the iPhone, and the iPad, and Twitter, and Facebook, and that's why I said there's one day in which you stop working, and you focus on me, and meditate on me, and meditate on my goodness, and my mercy, on my grace. That is the purpose, to take one day of rest, to focus on God. But what happened, the rabbis came in, and they said, well, what does it mean to break the Sabbath? Ah, there must be carrying a load, must be breaking of the Sabbath. Well, but we've got to explain that, uh, what it means to carry a load. So then a group of rabbis come in and said, well, let's say this, that any weight that is heavier than a fig is breaking of the Sabbath. Any milk that is heavier than one swallow is breaking of the Sabbath. Uh, Carrying more than enough oil to place on a wound is breaking the Sabbath or carrying more than enough water to moisten your mouth, it's breaking of the Sabbath. Or carrying more than enough paper to write a note on, is breaking the Sabbath. And it goes on and on and on. Can you see why Jesus got mad at them? (laughs) I can get mad at that too, because I can't keep all this stuff up. And the Pharisees got so bogged down on all of these details of the interpretations by the rabbis and the Mishnah, burdens that are totally useless. (laughs) And therefore, Jesus, who was condemning them for this type of interpretation, and when Jesus referred to the law, He here specifically referring to the Ten Commandments and the prophets, which is the teaching of the prophets. 
And he came to fulfill all of them. All of the prophets prophesied about Jesus coming. That's why all fulfilled in Jesus. And what Jesus is saying is this, that God the Son did not come to destroy or abolish what the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have authored, but He came to fulfill those commandments. And He's the only one who could. He's the only one who could. He came to authenticate the commandments and the prophets. Jesus did not come with a completely different body of teaching like some of those people, the false teachers are teaching. No. He came to fulfill He came to accomplish. He came to complete, to authenticate the Old Testament. And it returned it to its original purpose, namely prophesying of His coming. But we also know that in the first five books in the Old Testament, there are three types of laws. There is a ceremonial law, there is a judicial law, and there is the moral law, which is the Ten Commandments. You see, the ceremonial law ended with Jesus. For He became the perfect sacrifice acceptable to the Father. Therefore, the sacrificial system ended with Him. So is the judicial law. It ended with Israel because it was specifically for the nation of Israel. When Israel was dispersed, the judicial law has ended, but not the moral law, not the Ten Commandments. And the reason the ceremonial law ended with Jesus is because it was a shadow. When the person shows up, the shadow is not important. It was a symbol, and when the real thing comes, the symbol is not important. You see, Aaron was the very first high priest in the Old Covenant, but he could not compare with the great high priest in the New Covenant. You see, Aaron entered into an earthly tabernacle, but Christ entered into the heavenly tabernacle. Aaron entered into the Holy of Holies once a year, but Christ entered once and for all. Aaron entered behind the veil. Christ ripped the veil in two. Aaron offered many sacrifices, but Jesus offered only one sacrifice. Aaron sacrificed for his own sin as well as the sin of the people, but Christ offered himself as a sacrifice for the sins of others. Aaron offered the blood of bulls, but Christ offered his own blood. Aaron was a temporary high priest, but Christ is a permanent high priest. Aaron was fallible, but Christ is infallible. Aaron was changeable, but Christ is unchangeable. Aaron's sacrifices were imperfect, but Christ's sacrifice was perfect. Amen. Nor can the tabernacle be compared with Christ. The tabernacle had a door. Christ is the door. The tabernacle had an altar. Christ is our altar. The tabernacle had lamps, but Christ is the light of the world now and for eternity. The tabernacle had bread that had to be replenished, but Christ is the bread of life both now and forever. And Jesus said, do not think that I came to abolish the law and the prophets, but I came to fulfill them. But the question persists. Why? When God knew that none of us, none of us, none of us could keep the commandments all the time perfectly when that's the only way to get to heaven. Why did He give them to us when He knew we cannot be saved through the Ten Commandments? Great question. (laughs) You see, the law, the commandments are supposed to drive us to Christ. 
The law is supposed to bring us to the end of ourselves. And said, I can't do it. I cannot do it. And they said, now you're beginning. Come to me. I'm the only one who can forgive you. Amen. You see, the law is supposed to show us that we are lawbreakers. Otherwise, how do we know that we need Christ? But that the law is supposed to show us that we are lawbreakers, and only we recognize that I am a lawbreaker will I desperately need the forgiveness of Christ. Only when I get on the coattail of Him who kept all of the law perfectly all of the time will I get forgiveness here and eternal life to come. Today, there are many a church who preach grace. Oh, don't get excited. That's not the biblical grace. They teach a different type of grace. Today, it is rampant. Believe me, more rampant than you realize. The grace they teach is a license to sin and promiscuity. They really do. They pervert grace. I think it was Spurgeon who once said, there's no one who becomes holy by accident. You see, to be sure, we can never, never be saved by keeping of the Ten Commandments because we can't. Because if that's the basis of salvation, no one will make it. But when we come to the one who fulfilled, accomplished, and kept all of the demands of the law, only when we come to Him we are saved by grace. By His grace. What does grace mean once we are saved? Once we become the children of God by adoption? Listen to me very carefully. It does not mean that we continue in sin so we experience more grace, as so many of these false teachers are teaching. Not in a million years. Why? Because grace gives us an aversion towards sin. Grace gives us power over sin. Grace gives us victory over sin. Grace makes us hate sin. Grace makes us repulsed by sin. And grace always drives us back to Christ every time we sin. Amen. That's different type of grace. I want to show you how what Jesus said that living under grace does not mean promise security and living in sin so grace may increase this kind of falsehood that's invading the church. He said in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, under the law, the act of adultery is a sin. Under grace, the thought of lusting is a sin. Under the law, the act of killing is a sin. Under grace, deep hatred towards someone is a sin. Grace is higher and purer, not slimier. Read the Sermon on the Mount. Under the law, when people sin, all they could do is wait for a year, and then at the end of the year they go and they spend a hefty price in offering a sacrifice to atone for their sin, which cannot be permanently removed. But under grace, when we sin and immediately repent, we come and cry to the only one who paid the heftiest price of all for every one of our sins. And then we can be forgiven and healed. The requirements under grace are far higher, far greater, far purer than under the law. The difference is under grace we have the Holy Spirit that dwells in us, who convicts us, 
who brings us to repentance, who changes us, who indwells us, gives us the power over sin, something the Old Testament people did not have. This heresy, the more you sin, the more you experience God's grace. This is not new. It really isn't. It goes all the way back. Second century, there was a, a well-known heretic, famous heretic in the church by the name of Marcoin. Marcoin hated the Old Testament, and he rewrote the New Testament and took out all the references to the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, he rewrote Matthew 5, 17. Here's how he wrote it. He said, I have come not to fulfill the law and the prophets, but to abolish them. That's what a lot of people are teaching today. Second century heresy. You know the wicked Russian monk, Rasputin, who committed many wicked things. He began to teach in Russia to the hierarchy, to the elites. He began to teach this dreadful teaching that the more you sin, the more you experience God's grace. And he single-handedly helped get Russia plunged into totalitarianism and communism. Because that's inevitable. It's inevitable. See, false teaching not only destroys the church, it would destroy society. When grace turns into license to sin, wickedness will abound, and confusion and chaos will sit in, and totalitarianism will become inevitable. We're seeing it today. We, in America, we're losing our freedom every single day. Every single day, we're losing more freedom and more freedom and more freedom. Because that's what this sin does. God's moral law are the reflection of God's character. And therefore, they are changeless and they are eternal. And that is why it is nonsense to say, because we are saved by grace, and therefore the Ten Commandments are irrelevant and obsolete. That's falsehood. How would we know grace if we have not realized that we are lawbreakers? Listen to what Paul said in Romans 6.15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. The law is necessary because it reminds us that we are sinful people, and it drives us deeper into the very heart of the only one who can forgive our sins. Jesus said, Matthew 5.20, Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean? I mean, these guys, they were religious people. <laughs> there are going to be a lot of religious people in hell. Did you know that? I mean, they were keeping all the little laws, even the interpretations of the rabbi. That's not how you make it. You see, only the righteousness that Jesus Christ imputes in us is the righteousness that is acceptable to God the Father. And He looks at us. And he says, I see you as righteous because Jesus' blood has covered you and covered all your sins. 
That is the only righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law. Here's the difference between the Pharisees and the Bible-believing Christians. When we find ourselves serving God, doing things for God, serving Him with our heart, wherever, as we saw a sample of that, and many of you are involved in varieties of ministries from prisons to schools to different ways outside in the mission field of where God has placed you. But when we do this, we don't take the credit for it. We don't look up to heaven and say, you know, the man upstairs really owes me something. You know, Lord, you owe me one. I've done good for you. I've done this for you. But the Pharisees did exactly that. It's exactly what they did. Instead of always giving God the glory, they sought the glory for themselves. Above all, we are forever standing in amazement at God's wisdom, at God's grace, that He would save us, that He would redeem us, that He would crush His Son on a cross so that we who come on His coattails, believing in Him as not only Savior but the Lord of our lives, can make it to heaven. Stand in amazement, in awe. 21st century's church problem is that we don't stand in awe of Him. In awe of His grace, in amazement at His saving us by grace alone. We stand in awe of that grace. Thank you for taking the time for Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. Heard on the radio, online at ltw.org, and through your mobile devices on the Leading the Way app. Leading the Way is available on iHeart, Spotify, Apple, and of course, on your favorite podcast app. And if you would like to talk about your faith journey with someone, maybe seek answers to questions that you may have, won't you consider starting that conversation online or on the phone with a Leading the Way pastor or counselor? Start by going to ltw.org slash Jesus. ltw.org slash Jesus. Do you read the Bible as if your life depends on it? Well, you should. In Dr. Michael Youssef's book, How to Read the Bible, he reveals how the Bible guides you through life with faith and power. You'll understand that from the first pages of Genesis all the way through the last words of Revelation, God is pointing you toward the Lord who saves completely and eternally. In a day when so many preachers are saying that we need to ditch the Old Testament, we need to give up the Old Testament, I'm going to show you in this new book, How to Read the Bible, that the two, Old and New Testament, are interrelated. You cannot have one without the other. One does not make sense without the other. And so I hope you're going to read that book and you're going to apply it to your life. It will strengthen your faith and your trust in the Word of God. Learn how to get your copy of Dr. Yusuf's book, How to Read the Bible, today when you visit ltw.org. ltw.org. Again, the title, How to Read the Bible. And here's the number to speak to a ministry representative about how to get your copy or copies. 866-626-4356. 
That's 866-626-4356. And the website, ltw.org. ltw.org. Or you can even write to us. We love getting your cards and letters. Write to Leading the Way, Post Office Box 20100, Atlanta, Georgia, 30325. As we bring today's episode of Leading the Way to a close, allow me to invite you also to watch Leading the Way television. Each week, dig into the truth of God's Word and be challenged to love and serve the Savior. Leading the Way television is available in most areas on TBN, Daystar, NRB, INSP, TCT, God TV, Fox Business, and more. Visit ltw.org for details.